Good morning. Welcome to the Celtic Way Morning Briefing Live. It's Thursday, December the 22nd. Not long now, boys, till Santa comes, but there you have it. We are three amigos reassembled again. I'm Tony Haggerty, at a Haggerty 10 Twitter handle, you know that. And I'm joined today by Sean Martin, at Sean Martin TCW, and Aidan McDonald, at Aidan C. McDonald, or the GOAT, as he prefers to be called these days, Sean. <laughs> uh, the predictions GOAT, World Cup predictions GOAT. Good morning, gentlemen, how are we? Not bad, Tony, are yourself? Yes, indeed, Aidan. He's just smiling, he doesn't need to say anything, Tony. He's after that intro, uh, I'm, I'm absolutely superb. Do you, do you prefer Aiden or do we call you the GOAT? It's up to yourself. Uh, whatever, whatever takes your fans. Call, call you me Leo. <laughs> Leo. Call you me Leo. Uh. Baby Leo. Baby Leo. <laughs> <laughs> like that, to be fair. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now it's the morning after the night before. Celtic beat Livingston 2-1 and we will yeah. come to that, ladies and gentlemen, in the fullness of time. I'll just direct you to the ticker tape running along the bottom. Got a wonderful deal for you. Merry Christmas deal. A festive deal, and you can get 25% off the yearly subscription rate, which takes that to a wonderful £26. Or if you prefer, you can subscribe and you can enjoy two months of unlimited access to everything that's written on the website for the grand sum of £1. Ladies and gentlemen, what an offer that is. And all you have to do is hit the button, www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. That's www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. You can pay a pound for two months of unlimited access to everything that's written on the website, all sorts of stuff there, or you can get 25% off the yearly rate, which takes that to 26 quid. Marvellous deal, isn't it, gentlemen? Sean and Aidan, there's all sorts of on there, isn't there? Yep, Christmas cracker. You know, it's, it's a Tony Haggerty festive in the day on that website because it's uh, your detailed player ratings, your post-match opinion piece. Uh, all the different things that you've done. So, yep, Tony Haggerty Hag- Tony Christmas Spectacular. <laughs> Choose your words a bit more carefully there, Sean. Spectacular, maybe. But, yeah, this is, there's some Tony Haggerty stuff on there. Yeah, you can read it. Uh, sure, there's plenty of people wanting you in the stocking for Christmas, Tony. Don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> I, I, I believe so, Sean. Yes, indeed. Hopefully that is the case. Now, gentlemen, as we said, Celtic re-established their nine-point lead at the top. Shortest day I mentioned in the colour piece, Sean, but one of the longest nights of the season, I think, for the Celtic supporters. Eh? They didn't have kind of make it hard for themselves, did they not? Uh, I, I mean, in terms of performance, I thought I thought it was good in the first half. Yep. Despite the concession at the end, uh, the first half, second half, I think. Pardon me, I think Joe Hart probably called it when he said it just kind of wasn't there and it was difficult. And I think yep. at times it was Celtic that made it difficult for themselves. Uh, either way, it was not a vintage Ange Postecoglou Celtic performance, but it was certainly good enough on the night. I don't think there's any suggestion that mm. it wasn't good enough just in terms of to get the result, but obviously that kind of thing that I'm always talking about, about the two boxes. Ange Postecoglou said himself after that the result was yeah. there, but the performance wasn't. Uh, and I think Joe Hart in particular was, was very much unhappy with the nature of that Livingston goal as well. Indeed. Aidan, is that your takeaway from it, that the... the, the concession the goal was very sloppy wasn't it because at 2-0 the game really was or should have been dead and buried the manager said that himself they let Livingston back in and Sean's always talking about clean sheets and keeping them and that was an ideal opportunity last night to keep a clean sheet because Livingston really really threatened yeah it was disappointing to concede the goal and it was quite sloppy that just seemed to take the sort of momentum out of the game 
even though there was still you know a whole second half after that to come and it was just before half time after that the game just seemed to die down a wee bit but yeah they've not been keep, keeping as many clean sheets as i think a lot of fans would have liked this season and the, and the managers touched on that a couple of times as well that they need to be a bit stronger defensively so hopefully that's something they can work on individual sean i did my player ratings don't know if you yep. agreed or disagreed but you you called it bang on with your 11 at 11. Uh, yes, I, I so does that mean I get the goat title then? Yeah? Yes, and your big, call, your big call was a bad and he didn't let him down. Yeah, I gave him a nine because I thought he was terrific. I thought he deserved the goal as well, and we'll come to that later on. But uh, I thought a badder uh, stepped up to the plate last night, thankfully, I think. Yep. And a couple others, I thought McGregor was steady, Cameron mm-hmm. Carter Vickers and Starfield for what they had to do. Were, were, were decent, you know. Uh, yeah, I was uh, very impressed with Leela Bader's performance, I have to say. I uh, don't disagree with anything you said there. I, I, I've picked out three. I think uh, Anthony Ralston, first and foremost, I think even after clearly picking up an injury, he yep. still was playing well. Uh, in fact, when I thought he was ready to go off the park, he rattled in a shot and nearly found the bottom corner, <laughs> even though he was wincing in pain while he'd done it. Um, and then he came back out for the second half, gave that a go. Uh, for about 10 minutes or so, went off about 55 minutes. Uh, and in that 55 minutes, he managed to play what is now becoming, or must surely be becoming, a trademark through ball for Leo Labada. Yeah, uh, so I, know, I know you gave him a seven, and I think a seven is probably accurate because he did only play 55 yeah. minutes. But I think if he took his performance and he stayed on for longer, I think he would have been an eight, probably. Well, oh, yeah, he would have been an eight or a nine, Sean, because I thought, yeah. he, like Saturday, uh, a lot of people thought he was off it, but he still played the pass in the match. They, yeah. A carbon copy of last night, which released a badder, Aiden, and that's, uh, I thought those two in particular were linking up well. They seem to always do, actually, when the they two do, of them yeah. play. That second uh, unit that I can, yeah. not, I don't, again, I don't mean that disrespectfully when I say that about Ralston and Abada yeah. and even Yakimakis, but they do, they tend to be in depth-wise, they tend to be the second choices, and they all play well together, so. You agree with that, Aiden? You impressed with those guys that were, were we have mentioned so far? Yeah, I thought they were all excellent, to be honest. I mean, Abada, really, in, in particular, a real a good contribution for him. Obviously, he puts the ball in. I know we'll go on to discuss the goals, probably, but he puts the ball in. He obviously hits off the Livingston defender for the first goal. Then gets an assist for the second goal, and then, obviously, he got a goal that was chopped off as well. So, not a really good positive contribution for him, and he's came, really, he's came back really strong after the break. We also discussed at the start of the week how he was, ex- despite not scoring, or getting an assist against uh, Aberdeen. He was really, really good, putting quite a few dangerous crosses and sort of brought a lot of intensity to Celtic when he came on, and he was excellent again. So it's really good to see him. Maybe that's him hitting another purple patch, because we know how good Abada's purple patches have been before. So, uh, just, in time for a, just in time for a derby, Aiden. Yeah, it, you know you wanted to say it. Um, yeah. Tony, I think um, surely Abada, if nothing else, it's a shining example of, you know like being being ready making the most of your chance when there's rotation of foot because that's two in a row that's one is a 45 yep. minutes plays really well should have had an assist um gets a start off the back of that as he should have because i, I agreed when we were spoke, speaking about it the other day i think probably haxabanovich would probably have started if abada didn't play yeah. as well as he did at Pataudry. um gets the start off the back of that and is the team's best player in the next game penetrative dribbling was on point he caused the own goal as Aidan said he set up Kyogo for the second and then he did grab a third and as we'll, we'll, we'll come to shortly uh, it was disallowed 
was definitely the star man, Tony, and I think you were, you were totally right to give him the nine. Oh, yeah. I, I, he was just involved in everything that was good about Celtic last night. And again, as you alluded to there, the manager's always saying that, isn't he? That guys who are not playing have to be ready at the drop mm-hmm. of a hat to come on and perform. And I think Abada is a shining light and an example of that that isn't taking the huff that he's not in the team, except mm-hmm. that there's going to be rotation, as all the players have to, because the manager tells them. Again, I'll go back to listening to the manager, listen to what he's saying. He's not telling you you're not going to play. You will feature at some point, Aidan. But when I pick you to do a service, you've got to do me a service. You have to come on and you have to give me uh, a dilemma for the next game. You have to make me say, do you know what? Yellow jersey, you mm-hmm. keep it. Which is what he did with Abad on Saturday. It was excellent in the second half. Sean called it and said he would put him in. And, uh, and then afterwards, Sean, his after-match comments... He said there's probably going to be changes again for the, the St. Johnston game, which was yep. quite telling. So that throws us all into disarray picking a, a start. Well, aye, that, that's, <laughs> there's no chance of we getting 11 at 11 at that's the not the we want here. But Aidan, that's what I want from Celtic players that have been rotated. I want them to come in and I want them to give the manager a headache. I want them to say, I'm still around, I'm still here, I'm bringing my A game. Yeah, I mean, that's how you have a strong competitive squad, isn't it? You want all players that maybe aren't all involved or on the fringes to have that mentality. And Abad is taking his opportunity, obviously before the break, Hacks of Aaron, which was excellent. And I don't think it's unfair to say that if he didn't have that knock before the Aberdeen game, he probably would have started. So that kind of pushes uh, everybody that's not starting down the pecking order slightly. But obviously he wasn't available. Abad then comes on and the sub does really well who then gets his start eh, last night. So he's taking that opportunity and it, it's a real positive and you kind of ideally want that sort of mentality and that feeling in every position in the squad because that's how your sort of list of players is strong throughout the season. But yeah, no, Abada, the way he's sort of kicked on in these last couple of games has been excellent. Now, Sean, I mentioned uh, in my piece as well that you flagged up at the start about the need for a third striker and this dominance that Celtic have in matches. And I was saying it was a kind of mirror image of the European campaign where there was dominance mm-hmm. in matches, chances created, and they weren't taken. And you put up a comment from it saying that the European affliction can't be allowed to permeate the domestic scene because mm-hmm. it will cost them at some point. There'll be a day when they won't score the goals where the ball won't go in. And if they're creating chances, you know, 33 shots at Pataudry, one goal, 23 last night, I believe, an own goal and Kyogo's goal. You know, for in terms of chance conversion to chance ratio, the numbers aren't great, are they? Uh, without having the actual numbers to hand, it's it's more a perception, I think. Because yeah. uh, they're obviously, you mentioned it in a the piece, they're still the top scorers in the league. They're still yes. by far the best goal difference. Uh, and you, you, meant, you have another kind of sentence in there where you say, is it a concern? Well, no. It's not yes. a concern, but if it if it does cost Celtic points at one point, then then it will be a concern. At that point, there'll be plenty of consternation from people at that stage. But I think most most people that watch Celtic regularly have kind of made this observation in terms of yeah. certainly Europe, but domestic football. And just said it himself numerous times this season that should have won by more, should have took a chance, more chances, all that kind yeah. of stuff. It's not cost them apart from against St Mirren. It's not cost them. Yeah. Um, so there's there's very little fault you can find with the end product in terms of the end result. Um, but I agree with you. If it does cost them cost them points, and God forbid it costs them points at Ibrox, then you will find that people are ultra critical of it. But it won't be anything that 
anybody will be justifiably saying, well, we've said it before, because most people have said it before. Yeah. Um, whether that means necessarily that they need a new striker or not, um, I suppose, for me, I mean... I'll leave that to the manager. <laughs> well, I, but I mean, I, I, that's, that's, all, that's, that's an obvious response, but for, what were we going to debate if we just leave everything up to answer? <laughs> I mean, for me, Kyogo scored again, didn't he? Yes, he did. And it was a match winner. Jakimakis didn't do much when he came on, but then again, he wasn't on for long. Kyogo did miss a decent chance around the 30-minute mark, but then he also took the best chance that he got. So I get the narrative to an extent that clearly Celtic waste a lot of chances, but I'll come back to the kind of game-time argument between between Jakimakis and Kyogo that, that is kind of raging on. Signing another striker isn't going to clear that up. It's going to make it more difficult to keep everybody happy. Realistically, then, if Celtic sign another striker, it's got to be somebody that's better than both of them, and clearly yeah. better than both of them. Or you're just in the same predicament with a different name in the mix, no? Yeah, well, that was my premise, even to the question I was going to ask you, and I think one of the commenters has put it as well. Do we need a penalty box predator? Because Celtic fizzed a lot of ball across the six-yard box last night, and the manager said it himself. They weren't making those runs, you know, and, I, and, I, and it seemed to me like a thinly veiled dig at the strikers. Could be wrong in that, but he doesn't usually call them out. But he did say people weren't busting a gut to get there, and I don't know if he was aiming that at Kyogo. But there was a couple of times where I thought Kyogo could have made the same run he made for the Abada goal for the goal that turned out to be the winner, and didn't because those balls were just begging to be put away, weren't they? Yeah, they were, and I can understand why the manager was frustrated. Obviously, the second goal did come from exactly that, as you just mentioned, Tony Ball fizzed across. And Gio gets on the end of it, which was quite reminiscent of the sort of goals he was scoring at the start of last season. Actually, when I think about his goals, a couple of his goals against Dundee, when he that game he got the hat trick, obviously. So that was good to see that. But yeah, in terms of sort of balls in the box, whether sometimes maybe the crosses aren't the best or the wasn't the strikers weren't always in the best position, I do understand why the manager was uh, a bit frustrated at that. Hopefully. It's something that will improve a wee bit as the players are getting back into the swing of things. In terms of do we need a penalty box striker, obviously I kind of viewed Jack Marcus as exactly that, to be honest. Yep. Uh, I don't know, we kind of discussed the death at one point about the old one-touch finish, and that was most of them were in the box, I'm pretty sure. So, or if not all of them last season were in the box, but I kind of had him down as that, but, uh, you know... They maybe they feel they need to go in and get and get someone else who can fulfill it, but I would have thought Yakimak was already potentially ticking the box of a penalty box striker in terms of that actual ability, even if he's maybe not been scoring as much this season. But his goal record been all right. Some games he hasn't really been involved either. So I understand that. I think it, I think he was talking about other players. I don't think he was no, trying I, I, to, say to, the, to the strikers. I think he was saying I was playing devil's advocate there about the strikers or midfielders. You know because. Uh, O'Reilly still looking for his first goal of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, he scored a few last season. You know, uh, I thought Jota's output last night was pretty limited. When he got the ball, he looked as if he could beat Nicky Devon for fun, mm-hmm. but didn't do it enough. And that's two games where I would say Jota's been out of sorts. I will use that phrase. I'm not saying he's been terrible or, or brutal, but he's been out of sorts. He's just not been at it, has he? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't think that can be allowed to continue because you need everybody to be bang at it. And that's and I'm not saying Celtic struggled last night, but it was kind of, you know, a, a symptom of the fact that Jota wasn't 
bang on form. Thankfully, Abada was. Mm-hmm. And that that was your outlet last night with Ralston and Abada. And then for 35 minutes, Ralston goes off and there was a lull. Again, Kyogo scored a cracking goal, but has not been exactly firing in all cylinders. not been the Kyogo of old. Jakimakis only gets eight minutes. So there's a lot of things feeding into that. Hitachi yep. and O'Reilly were okay. Last night, but I mean, it's, it's they, they were trying. They were certainly trying yeah. the, 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 the passes to unlock that that Livingston backline. But ultimately, like there was a comment here, I'm going to throw up from um, uh, from Frank, who says the ongoing issue from now until May will be Ange's rigidity. Easy for me to say, uh, with Ange ball as a concept and it only providing for one single lone solitary striker up front against ten defenders. Uh, and often a very static pedestrian midfield. I disagree with that characterisation of the midfield. I think they all, all three of them get about and all three of them try and put in those out that kind of passes to unlock defence. But I also take issue with the one single lone solitary striker. Now, obviously, 4 3 3 is one striker that starts. But as I keep saying, especially against a team like Livingston, you, you've got eight players in the opposition half for most of the game. So I don't think it's very fair to say that there's a striker isolated. It's just, there's so many bodies is really what, what the problem is rather than anything else. I don't think it's a lack of attacking players because they're all in the opposition half. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'd, I'd take issue with that as well. I disagree with that. What Frank's saying there, Aidan, to be fair, but that's just my own personal opinion. What, what's your thoughts on that, Aidan? Yeah, I, I always think that even though they may have struggled a wee bit last night, the midfield is usually one of the most sort of dynamic mm-hmm. aspects of Celtic's team. I mean... You'll have games, particularly domestically, where they're sort of so far forward. Even somebody like Cal McGregor, for example, against Aberdeen, despite playing the number six, spent mm. most of the most of the game in the Aberdeen half, which I know was relative to the tactics Aberdeen were playing. But yeah, I, I would I disagree with that comment to be honest. See with this, um, Jen, there's, there's credence to this. Tony Ralph Thompson saying Kyogo was important in keeping Levy penned in last night. Um, folk massively that this bit in particular folk massively overreact every time he misses a chance because I said yesterday to you Tony that statistically remember I rained off both of the statistics from the start Kyogo does obviously start the majority of games he's got 32 goals in 55 games now and it's the equivalent of about 40 full 90 mm-hmm. minutes the, the minutes equivalent so, I mean 32 goals in 40 full 90s is, is phenomenal so yeah. is, is it just that because he is prone to missing a sitter that, that sticks in people's heads a lot more. I think I think his goal ratio is terrific, and I think he's, the goal he scored last night was proved to be the winner was terrific. But he could have had three or four had he made those runs that the manager was saying with the balls that were fizzed across, and he also must have set up. And the Kyogo of old would have put that away in his sleep, would have lifted it over him, would have did what he did in the cup final, not even thought about it. So I just think that there's something with Kyogo just now that he's not firing on all cylinders, but he is still contributing as the manager says and he's contributing a lot in terms of dragging defenders around and I see all that but what you want him to do is to score goals and he scored the winner last night so I'm not having a go at him per se I'm just Mm -hmm. trying to sort of see what the manager was saying in terms of I think he was disappointed that Kyogo didn't get on the end of those ones that were driven across and A and others as well the kind of balls that they're pulling they're either putting it across or pulling it back. I think Kyogo just picked it on one a couple of times because everybody knows he likes to sometimes yeah. back, let other players run in front of him and then he's in the space. And a couple of times, Hatate in particular last night chose to shoot instead of pulling it back to him when he was in space. So I think he was there. And that's, that's kind of, again, why I don't think Andrew's really getting at him. I think it was more there was a lack of other players mm. running beyond him 
the likes yeah. of maybe Hatati himself, maybe O'Reilly, trying to get in there, maybe a badder running from the back anyway. Now, obviously, Kyogo takes a, takes a, a his mm. fair share of that because if you pick the wrong run, then you still pick the wrong run. But at the same time, as much as Ange was saying, the balls were getting put into the right areas. Sometimes the right area is cutting it back because they've done that yeah. plenty as well. And I just think that they missed Kyogo a couple of times last night as much as he missed the run. Adrian, I think it was a warning shot over the bow to Kyogo and Ian, others like Hatati and O'Reilly, possibly Jota, yeah. and, and Abada as well, who likes to do that late run and coming in as well. So I think it was a kind of, uh, it was, as I say, a warning shot over the bow to them all. But they should be reading it a bit more and making those, because that's, he said himself, that's the way we play. It's no surprise that you get to the dead ball line and fizz those kind of balls across, is it? No, it's not because it's obviously a massive uh, part of Celtic's game in terms of, like you just said, the way they play. It's how the, the manager ideally wants them to get a good chunk of their goals. He's not the most keen. I know McGregor obviously scored that shot at the weekend, but the way Ange plays, he doesn't really want guys firing shots from, you know, dead far out or whatever. That sort of cross based mm-hmm. way, the, the quick balls fizzed in is what he likes to see. I think uh, in terms of. Just the players you're rhyming off there, even somebody like O'Reilly who's not scored this season, the manager just wants it to be more clinical, doesn't he? Because yeah, he'll been getting frustrated. I know they did win last night, but just obviously the games in like the Champions League, etc. When there was chances to be there, and all right, in those games, you, yeah, at times you were playing a good team. So even if he does take a couple of chances, it maybe then wouldn't have guaranteed wins. But he's probably thinking would have been a better chance of winning games if we'd taken some of the chances. So. I can understand why that's maybe in the back of his head, still sort of bubbling over, but we know how quality these players can be. I mean, Hattati and O'Reilly were, when they came in last season, I know Hattati fizzled out a wee bit due to how much football he played, but particularly when he first came in, he was excellent O'Reilly as well. It was such an important aspect to winning the league. And for a good chunk of the start of the season, even though they both weren't maybe scoring a lot, they had a good chunk of the start of this season. Sorry, they were, they were good as well, so... Fingers crossed they're going to find uh, a bit of form and it's maybe just then take me a while to get going after the break. Tony, before we, before we move on to the inevitable that we've managed to stave <laughs> off for 22 and a half minutes, um, the third player that I wanted to single out earlier on was, unsurprisingly, uh, Greg Taylor. Because although he was suspect for that Livingston goal, never tucked in enough and it was his man, uh, all that kind of stuff, when he moved to right back, lest we forget a... Uh, a sight I don't think anybody thought we would see. Um, I just wanted to give him a mention for that because he obviously is very left-footed, very left-footed. Mm-hmm. Uh, as somebody commented earlier on, his right foot's for standing. Um, but I think he, I think he coped well uh, with playing 40 minutes or so at right-back. All right, Livingston weren't, weren't exactly rampaging doing that wing, but when they did try and attack, they did try and kind of target that area, knowing that he was out of position. I suspected, given the options on the bench, that if Ralston went off, that it would be Taylor that Postacoglu turned to mm-hmm. uh, to play right back with uh, Alexandro Bernabe playing in his natural position rather than the other way about in anything. Um, I don't know what you made of it, but I know what you made of it, Tony, because you you done the ratings. But it kind of like, to me, it was kind of like boys' club football rules. If yeah. you're stuck for a natural replacement, you turn to the guy who you trust most and will yeah. adapt for you in that moment. And, and for Ange Postacoglu, that was Greg Taylor. I think he did all right. I, I, I didn't have a, an issue with him go, going to right back. As you say, what he, uh, he was kind of targeted, but he, he coped okay. My thing with uh, thing with uh, last night, I just thought he could maybe have done better at the goal. 
Yep. But then yeah. I, I thought Joe Hart could probably have done better too, mm-hmm. possibly. Uh, his annoyance um, was palpable after it. Yeah, correct. Hard, uh, you know, because such a terrible goal to lose. And then there was a moment in the second half where I think Greg caused a wee bit of consternation with a slack pass. Mm. Just right across to nobody and it landed to, well, to a Livingston player and, you know, they get an attack out of nothing. And when the game's tight like that, it, it, that's the kind of thing that la- laps in concentration that can cost you, you know, mm. at, at any time. But uh, I thought he was, he, he, I gave him a seven, didn't I? So he was, he was steady enough. But there was a couple of instances where you thought, all right, uh, Greg, if you were switched on, or you are the Greg Taylor that we've been used to, then these things wouldn't happen. They would have got round. He would have made the tackle, that kind of thing. So uh, it, it, these are, you maybe picking faults in them, but I'm not saying he had a bad game. It was just, I think um, it's a reflection of the esteem in which he's now held, yeah, held that you've not right. really seen a lot of people saying because yeah. there's a time where before those wee incidents you're talking about would have been blown out of all oh yeah he would have been a fight twitterati and stuff and uh, yeah. giving them absolute pelters so he would have been uh, a I think that's a reflection of uh, how he's how he's because his general all round play was fine actually you know those instances apart okay we've got to 25 minutes let's do it right. do you want to ruin Brian Roberts day yeah you want to ruin my yeah. day. We've also yeah. got Anthony Aitken coming in asking if we've done it yet. We've no, you're, you're just in time. Um, and Don't I do, I have several actually, several yes. live screenshots to put up, unfortunately. Now, um, Aiden, but, what I want to know is first and foremost why Nicky Devlin's handball wasn't a penalty. Mm. I also want to know why Leal Abada's goal was disallowed, but we'll take them. In his incidents, firstly, Nicky Devlin, real Hatati shot, penalty kick. Hey, uh, that... mm. Oh, Tony's going to disagree with you. Don't, don't be scared, Aiden. Just tell him it wasn't a penalty. Uh, I think it was a bit of a difficult one, to be honest. Uh, I, I, I don't know if it was full, fully like cut and dry, to be honest. Uh, I think there's been. I think there's been more uh, mm-hmm. obvious ones throughout the season. The one that I know I don't want to mention too much because it's another one that we we be discussed quite a lot of the time. But the obviously the the one at uh, Tynecastle, I always forget what player it was. Michael Smith. Yeah, was it yeah, Forrest? I think it was Forrest. Forrest flicked it. Michael Smith handled it. Which was the a, a stone waller if I've ever seen one. Uh, but. I, I, <laughs> some there you go. I mean, that, that's that's yeah. what I thought as well. That 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 was when somebody was going to score against you when you were a kid, and you became the the stand-in goalkeeper. If your goalkeeper had gone evil, or somebody had rounded the goalkeeper, and you, I mean, eh, uh, I look right. All right, let let's not let's not exaggerate what he done. Right, it hit his it hit his elbow, but his arm was no way out from his body. Now this is this is a rule of it, right? I know this is. Not that big a screenshot because there's so many there. But with the Devlin one, to me, right, his arm is glued to his side. But, and it, you're going to see some quality fence sitting from me over the next five, ten minutes, by the way. But, All right, okay. Um, he has, his arm is glued to his side, but the question is, has he leaned into it rather than has he put his arm out? Because he's not put his arm out, but if he's leaned into it, then that would make it a deliberate movement towards the ball, would you think? He stopped the ball from going to its intended target with his hand or his part of his arm. That doesn't so, matter. A handball's not a, a, a just touching the ball with your hand doesn't make it a handball. 
what would make it a handball is what I'm saying if you think he deliberately moved into it. Because his he arm was there. He, he did deliberately move into it. He moved towards it. So that, that's different from saying his arm was there. His arm was there. But to stop it from going to his intended target, which was the goal. Mm-hmm. So, so you think it's a penalty in Aiden? Is that, is that in any way shape what you think? You still think it's a hard decision? I don't I think it's a hard decision. I think it's quite an easy decision. I don't think it is, Tori. I think it's quite obvious that it is a debatable decision. Are we going to be debating it? But look, I've been quite critical of VAR, how it's been, uh, not even VAR, sorry, I've been critical of uh-huh. quite a lot of the refereeing decisions this year when they have been poor. The, the example I highlighted being that Hearts one mm-hmm. uh, with when Forrest put it, uh, it was a clear penalty that day. I, look, it, it could have, I'm going to sit in the fence about it as well. It, it, could, it could have been given, but I don't think it was like a clear cut and dry like some of them have been, to be honest. The but thing is, Aidan, right, what I would say is, and this is David Gillespie's comment gets it on the head for me here, is you can't two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, so if, if one he's mentioning the Burnaby penalty, now I still don't think that was a penalty. The Burnaby one that was given. Uh, and David Gillespie saying if that was a penalty, then last night should have been. Problem is, I think you could argue neither was a penalty and that they've got it particularly wrong in the Burnaby one. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I, I think fundamentally, I do think it is a debate. I think it all depends on whether you think he's moved deliberately towards that ball because his arm wasn't out, his arm was at his side. Well, well, I think if he's he moved towards it, then it is a penalty. I think he has deliberately moved towards yeah. the ball because he stopped it from going to its intended target, which was the goal. And also, then, if you're going to talk about other penalties, I can't for life me understand why Bernabeus was given as a penalty and the Matt O'Reilly one against Ross County yeah. was given as a penalty. Matt O'Reilly one as well, yeah. So, uh, you know, that's what's uh, confusing for me because, uh, and then the Michael Smith one, as we've alluded to, wasn't given. Then I, you know, I need to go back to school. I need to. I think Simon Doyle the same, same thing. You know, yeah, he yeah. did last night because they're making a mockery of the rules because every time you think it's a penalty or an offside or whatever, they, they then start re refereeing it or making up their own rules. And my questions about this is the team that seems to be bearing the brunt of it is Celtic and you can't that, I agree with because you cannot escape yeah. that the, the team that has been I hesitate to use the words but I'll use it shafted the most by VAR since it was introduction is Celtic and nobody can dispute yeah. that now somebody has and, I've, and, I, and I say that the very first time we've had the discussion somebody has to come out and explain the rules to me because I know you've got the IFAB rules out but now we've got referees Given your inter- their own interpretation of these rules, yeah, but fundamentally, Tony, that is what it comes down to. Yeah, like you it's know, not a cut and dry one. Like, like not it black and white. That yeah. is an interpretation. They are now given and the re-refereeing games and given interpretations to justify the fact that they are given decisions against Celtic. Now, nobody can dispute that. And Celtic, have Celtic got one VAR decision since it came in? They got a penalty against uh, Livingston that Willie Cole went and checked. That's right. That, that was a, a handball, wasn't it? And Jackie right. Marcus missed it. Yeah. Yeah. And how many have gone against them since it came in? Yep. Nearly, nearly Don't every get me wrong, like, I fundamentally, I agree with you that Celtic have by far paid the most with our. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And I don't want taking this actual incident, Tony. And I don't want favours. I want consistency. Get away from the fact that it is a debatable decision. It's not cut and dry. So I think you need to kind of calm down and stop making it out as if it's cut and dry. But, I, but I this is where this is where it comes into it for me. It's the I lack of consistency. I just said that. 
But no, it depends. On, I suppose it depends on the referee. I suppose it depends on what referee's interpreting it. But ultimately, unless it's an in and an out and an offside, which we'll come to, uh, then it, it is an interpretation fundamentally. These are the rules. This is what they're thinking. Mm-hmm. Now, I agree with you. It would be ideal if you did get some, what we've talked about before, some sort of VAR report released after the game or whatever, where they say, right, this is what our thought process was, blah, blah, blah. But as I've said before, you're not going to get it. Referees are a, too much of a protected species to agree to that. Mm-hmm. They don't They don't explain anything. So they're not going to start now that VAR's would there to prove them wrong, if that's the case. I'm not disputing that that penalty decision last night is it is something that can be debated, but for me, there, there is no debate because I think he, he makes a motion towards the ball. Tony, That's... there is a debate. Stop saying that you don't think there's a, just because it's your opinion doesn't mean there's no debate. Well, we're having a there debate. We're going to be debating but, it. Well, but I still think that it's a clear cut for me. Aye, for you. So there is a debate. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But what I would say is, and I know obviously some people in the chat and I've seen have been talking about how. The Burnaby one, etc., and the O'Reilly one. I, well, at the time, I, I didn't particularly think either of them were penalties. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm hoping for consistency to an extent, I'm probably more than I'm expecting from some of the Scottish referees, as maybe they have looked at that and they've felt well, they, they, those were incorrect decisions in hindsight. So, we're going to try and apply that to the <laughs> the rest of the games but I, I, I get where you're coming from Aidan but this is where I'm saying like when I put up David's comment two wrongs don't make a right it, it, you need to do it on that decision you can't think oh well I gave that or I didn't give that I know, so I, know. I, know. Like, I, I can get where you're coming from but that 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 doesn't change with me either it needs to be in that moment that decision it can't be oh well when I gave that a couple of weeks ago so oh I was wrong I can't give this now it should be just that decision and I realise sometimes it's hard to operate in a vacuum but that, that's just the way that it should be I'll ask you, Sean, do you still think that the Burnaby penalty and the Matt O'Reilly penalty were penalties? No, because I never thought that at the time. I thought both weren't penalties. Okay. Do you, do you still think the Michael Smith one was a penalty? I think that was a penalty. Right? For the same reason that you think this is a penalty, because yeah. I think he moved deliberately towards the ball. Right. But then yeah. again, his arm was actually out as well, whereas yeah. Devlin's was, was at his side, but... This is what I'm saying. It's it's debatable. There is I at some point that. along the process. There's an interpretation. I get and that. I you, the interpretation so yes. far has gone against Celtic more than it's gone for them. And I agree with you that they're all debatable. Hence why we're having this discussion. I get mm-hmm. that. I, and we've not even got to Abada yet. Remember, we've <laughs> not even got to Abada yet. So now, Abada. Right. We there's two things at play here, isn't there? Couple of things, aye. Couple aye. of things. The first one being that Turnbull, if that's an intended pass towards a badder who is in an offside position, mm-hmm. but Turnbull's really just helping the ball on, isn't he? So it's not mm-hmm. a pass per se, because a badder's mm-hmm. coming back from that offside position, isn't he? Yes, it, yes. I'm not going to lie, right? It threw me. It massively yeah. threw me this one. Um, and I'll, put, I'll put the main, well, while you're talking, I'll put the main IFAB offside one up on the screen. Which is and then it's the, the intention of the Livingston player to intentionally play the ball, isn't it? Because if that's an intentional play of the ball, then it becomes a second phase and mm-hmm. a badder becomes onside, which is right. why he's rammed it into the net, isn't it? That's right. Well, on that, on that one, on the... On the, the the screen, that's the kind of main the main offside rule wording, mm-hmm. right? Abada was clearly standing offside when Turnbull flicked the ball on. 
we know that that's fine. That doesn't mean that he's offside. Standing in an offside position doesn't mean you're actually offside, right? It depends on what you do from that position. Um, now, as an aside, by the way, you'll notice on this that there is nothing to be said about whether Turnbull played it deliberately to a badder or not, a badder or not in these laws. So that almost doesn't matter. He mm-hmm. flicked the ball on. That's all you need to know. That kind of thing. So initially, right, I thought because Abada decided to run towards the ball after coming back on from an offside position, that that meant that he had impacted the play and impact, impacted the way the defender was able to play the ball, therefore offside, like the bottom point on the screen, making an obvious action, which clearly impacts on the ability of an opponent to play the ball, right? Now, initially, that's what I thought. However, when I started looking at the IFAB, kind of, it's, it's like the facts, it's like the like FAQs, do you know what I mean? Like that further down at the end of some of the sections, they've got example scenarios listed below some of the laws. So this was one that they listed as a practical example, right? And that is very small, actually, so I'll read it. <laughs> uh, now, an attacking player in an offside position, which in this situation is a badder, runs towards the ball, but does not play the ball or prevent the opponent, which is a Livingston defender, from playing or being able to play the ball. What is the referee's decision? And IFAB categorically says it's not an offside offence, so the referee allows play to continue. The attacking player is only penalised if he or she plays the ball or interferes with an opponent. Now, right, are you following me right? Because I'm, I'm reading a lot out here, but that scenario to me applies to a bad, I know. The only rationale I can think of for the ref or VAR to overturn that goal is that they watched it back and they deemed Abada to have interfered with the Livingston player, right? Now, to me, that means I've got to think, right, what, what does IFAB deem as interfering? So this is what they, right, so this is it. Interfering with play by touching or passing a ball that was touched by it, right? So that doesn't apply. Interfering with an opponent by preventing them from being able to play, from playing or being able to play the ball by obstructing their line of vision. No, never done that. Challenging an opponent for the ball. No, never done that. Clearly attempting to play a ball which is close when this action impacts on an opponent. No. Making an obvious action which clearly impacts on the ability of an opponent to play the ball. Now, that's the only one I think that they could in any way interpret as the reason. And I think it's very, very harsh because he's still not really near the defender. What's your thoughts, boys? The, the defender's just made a hash of a headed clearance. A badder's motion towards him, yeah, but he's nowhere near him. So, hence, by the defender making a hash of that, that becomes a, a second phase, doesn't it? Which renders mm-hmm. uh, a badder onside and he does what any kind of striker would do in that situation, a forward player, and puts the ball away before uh, before asking any questions at. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bottom one is, uh, yeah, it's tenuous, but that's clearly the one that the referee's acted upon. And again, we think because again, this has just been left to uh, left to assumption. Yeah. yeah, you know, because it's the rest of them made a pretty cut and dry there. You know, yeah, it was I'm, my I'm understanding sure. as well. And as you say, taking Turnbull out of the equation because it's just he's just played the ball. It's not even a pass. He just helped the ball on. I suppose so, Aiden he thinks. Sorry, he thinks the the VAR or the referee, whatever one it was, or both, if they are using that last one then they must be working on the, the presumption that that Levy defender doesn't even try to head the ball back if Abada doesn't move. But I would say, why would they head the ball back if Abada was impacting it? Because that's not the direction you want to head it if if you're doing it because the player's impacting your thought process. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, aye. It, it does seem clear that that is obviously the one that whoever made the final decision between the, the two parties 
for that to go being chopped off it does seem like that bottom the low point there is the sort of thing they've went with it was yeah it's another one that's uh, is a bit frustrating probably the fact it took them so long to decide as well i don't know if there's any sort of time available for a uh, uh, how long they actually took to look at it, but it was you know, like four four minutes or something like that. I yeah, yeah, I think it was too long anyway. And that, that, that to be honest, that is what a lot of people here, Aiden, are saying that although they disagree with the decision, it's not actually the decision that's annoying them. It's the the length of time that people are still taking when they're reviewing this to come to a conclusion. Yeah, it was just it seems to just be ages and ages. Uh, four minutes felt <laughs> double that to be honest, but. Uh, yeah, it's obviously another thing that they're going to have to try and rectify with this VAR model is when it's a decision like that, fair enough if they need to go and look at the monitor, but getting the referee over the monitor a lot quicker because it just, I know it's another thing we've mentioned before, but just the flow of the games, I know Celtic were maybe pulling along a bit before that, but the flow of the game just kind of gets completely disrupted and then mm-hmm. leads to you getting whatever it was, seven minutes or something like that on at the end, so... Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anthony there saying Tony that the refs should need to disclose their reasoning. As I, I've already, I know I've already said this, but I'm going to go back to it again because I watch a lot of basketball. It, it just seems the obvious thing to me is that you yeah. don't need to do it right after the game. You don't need to do it in real time. Although I know people would appreciate it, and I've said before, Gary Neville let the cat out of the bag doing, um, doing in England by saying that the commentary booths can hear what the VAR officials are discussing. I don't know if that's the case up in in Scotland, I don't see why it wouldn't be if the game was on Sky, I know that wasn't last night um, but in terms of disclosing the reason I don't really see a problem with that that's a fair suggestion, it's a fair suggestion that modernises the game slightly same as using technology does the NBA uses, I think it's a final two minute report any sort of calls that are made within the final two minutes that might have a tangible impact on a game's outcome, for instance goals obviously with basketball it's a, it's a basket and stuff uh, or fouls, then there is a sort of explanation, a rationale, this is why we took it. They already explain it sometimes on screen and stuff, so they're already ahead of that. But the the kind of the silence is is what's going to make this torture, basically. The, 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 the lack of the lack of justification. Now I know they've got to justify it to their superiors, but the superiors don't need to justify it to anybody else, which is part of the problem. You know, uh, we banged on about it in the start when VAR came in. That we needed communication because it helps in, uh, improve your own understanding. I mean, but every other game, some are having to dig into IFAB. Bye, I know. To, I know. to check the rules, you know, it was yeah. ever thus. And we're fed up talking about it. I mean, the manager himself last night was asked the question in VAR when his, mm-hmm. his answer was unequivocal. Yeah. I made a conscientious decision to say that I'll never, I'll not talk about VAR from now on in because he's sick of it. You know, and, and it just and you do, you question your own knowledge of the rules of the game. And now we have referees who I think are refereeing and they don't have full knowledge of the rules of the game. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what their job is? To know the laws of the game inside out and to be able to make those calls straight away. I think they're now, again going back to interpretation, we're now re-refereeing football matches. Hmm. on somebody's interpretation of the laws of the game, which you keep fl- flashing up here in black and white. And then it's it's a... What do you call it? It's the, the, the waters are muddy because it's uh, ambiguous, because we're picking out one of the IFAB rules, the bottom one, which we think the referee has given a decision on, 
-hmm. but we'll never ever know because they can't speak and tell us they don't uh, you know they, they, whilst we've embraced new technology we've not embraced the you know the the reasoning behind it and telling us why they reach decisions whether that be in the stadium at the time which i still think they can do Mm-hmm. But it takes an eternity. To, I mean, it took an eternity to reach that decision last night, or it felt yeah. like an eternity, and that shouldn't be the case, especially something which is part of the laws of the game, which I think the referees and those in the VAR room should know, mm-hmm. like the back of their hand, you know. And I, and I get it. And I've said before, I think the officials in this country are woefully inept. They're not fit for purpose. That comes back to the, the lack of full-time refs again, Tony, yeah. which I kind of mentioned. I, I was putting the cart before the horse slightly. I kind of, yeah. I say that I put, I made my piece because in terms of kind of trying to advance the game and VAR was in the natural step probably, but to not have full-time officials was, do you know what I mean? It was a bit was the wrong that? way for me. Yeah. Um, I think everybody, Aidan, yeah. would you agree that most people, um, I mean, there's, I was going to say three different generations. I'm probably straddling yours, Aidan, but uh, <laughs> a couple of a couple of different age groups in here. I think we all generally agree, and this is across clubs, not just not just the three of us. That the standard of refereeing, thinking how to put this, the standard of refereeing in Scottish football is pretty poor. And I know a lot of people think that in their in their many leagues, but I think that's a that's a broad opinion. I think in Scotland, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would agree. I don't think the standards are that great. Whether or not them going full time would improve that, we don't know. It's obviously would be a potential idea. I just I don't I don't want to go back too far in the conversation, but mm-hmm. what you've mentioned about uh, you know referees giving what an update or justifying decisions at the end of the games, uh, that would be obviously something that I think fans of all clubs would like to see. Is a, and like you said, it doesn't need to be like you know a minute after it or mm-hmm. right at the end of the game, uh, like. You were saying they do in the NBA, even if it was like you know a couple of days later, or say the games are Saturday by the Monday, they've got to produce a report or whatever. I, I just think it would just allow for a, a wee bit more transparency, and you wouldn't be having to really have. Well, you could still be having discussions if you didn't agree with the decision, but you could at least say what the referees claiming that they were thinking when exactly when uh, there was a, a penalty call, or whatever happened. I think that would be quite good, but. It's, it's never going to happen, to be honest. But. I suppose my, my, reason, my reason for asking that, Tony, was if we're all in agreement that the referees in general, broad terms, weren't the, the epitome of refereeing standards, as you can see by none of them getting a call up to the World Cup, then are we really that surprised that they're kind of... No. That, I mean, I try to figure out how to say this without sounding daft right but is it that surprising that VAR in Scotland is only as good as the people that are interpreting it basically is what I'm what I'm saying is it does it actually surprise you as much as it's obviously annoying us does no. it surprise you that, 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 that this all taken in conjunction with each other no full time refs VAR rolled out before there's full time refs and then the, the, the general perception of the, the standard of refereeing has all come together and VAR has so far caused more issues than it's, it's solved perfect storm isn't it Mm-hmm. we've spoken before and we said all we wanted was consistency that right and decision making mm-hmm. and fairness not favoritism or favors just consistency and fairness and i think every supporter of every club wants that and they've seen nothing like it since far has been introduced and every club supporters fans team management team they'll have a i see before a litany of decisions where they feel they've been hard done by by VAR. 
they can't all be wrong, can they? they can all be wrong, and, and, and it can't. And as you say, there was one weekend where it wasn't just uh, restricted to a Celtic game. I think there was the six games there was a VAR issue, wasn't there? A, a contention. So it's happening to mm-hmm. every team, isn't it? So mm-hmm. we watch Celtic all the time. That's our job to do that. So we focus specifically on Celtic. But I want to make the point that every club, every week, is an issue with VAR and, and decisions going against them. I and mean, it goes back to, as you see, the quality of people that are employed to to run VAR, mm-hmm. administer VAR. And you, you made a great point that it was kind of the horse had bolted because we haven't appointed full-time officials. And then we get get this hiding behind teething problems. As Anne said himself, VAR's been in Australia for about the best part of five or six years. Mm-hmm. Australian football and it's been in various leagues. So, why is it so bad in Scotland? Why is it so contentious in Scotland? Why is it every other game we're talking about it? And like the manager, I'm getting annoyed about it, talking about it. But it's happening every other game. Aidan Ange said before the the break, a couple of weeks before the break, which remember the five weeks to, to try and iron out any teething issues, but he said it was the length of time basically what a lot of the commenters are saying he, it was the length of time that it was taken that was annoying him more than more than anything else because he kind of he says right the decision's the decision we'll deal with it we'll, we'll overcome it that kind of thing whether he thinks it was right or wrong but it was the length of time added on to that the way that Celtic want to play their football the high intensity we never stop all that kind of stuff you're getting a four minute stop which means the opponent gets a four minute breather as well that all plays into it but that phrase that Tony said they're aiding teething problems Um the phrase I'm using where it's inconsistent, it's interpretation, it's subjectivity and stuff, it's all the different ways it not of saying that there are still problems with the quality of officials in Scotland and the, the introduction of VAR is ultimately, again, only as good as the people interpreting it. Yep, uh, I can I completely agree with that. And the fact that uh, you've picked up on that, obviously none of them at the World Cup shows you that it's not just people in Scottish football, fans, Scottish teams that are thinking that the referees are maybe a bit below standard in terms of their overall officiating, you know, UEFA or FIFA, I should say, sorry, mm-hmm. are also seeing that as well. And, yeah, it, it, as you are kind of at the mercy of the, the quality of the referee or how they are sort of, and how good they are at their job even with VAR because if they're not, I don't want to say not up to date in the rules, that's maybe unfair, but if they're not sort of putting them in place correctly, maybe even, uh, then there's nothing you can really do even if somebody is going to look at it, if they've got a billion cameras to look back on it if they're not implying to uh, implement rules properly, it's not going to matter. And what we mentioned this when it came in the VAR that we knew there was going to be plenty of discussions about it because the officiating standard isn't the best in Scotland. It was not going to be plain sailing, even in countries where, at least on paper anyway, you would think the refereeing is better. It took mm-hmm. VAR some time to sort of be implemented, but at the time, it was probably the caveat was, well, that was it really coming in for the first time. If I'm going back to the 2018 World Cup when it was first introduced in the Champions League, final league, which I think was 2018, 2019 or something like that, round about then, maybe just slightly after, a few years ago, we were saying that even then, eh, that was a more competent referees a lot of struggles. So I, I had no doubt it was going to be maybe fart, maybe fart is the right word, to be fair. I had no idea it was going to be at times. <laughs> at, time, at times it was going to be frustrating. Uh, and that's exactly how it's planned out. Uh, there was a real bit of respite in the Aberdeen game. Um, so Aberdeen 1-0 Saturday that 
I don't think there was really any contentious VAR decisions that I, I can think of, and it wasn't really anything that I didn't have to do. training exercise for most of yeah, the game, yeah, no. <laughs> to be honest. Aberdeen were just chasing the ball, so there wasn't really any VAR decisions to be made. But I, in my head, I was hoping oh, maybe we'll go a few games, but of course, the next game after it. But. We, we had a World Cup final on Sunday where a referee clearly saw a dive in the last minute of extra time for a penalty kick. That's what he's employed to do, and he got plaudits for it. How many refs would have given a penalty in that situation? At least it might have been checked. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah. But I think yeah, we're on the verge of doing a Roy Keane. That's his job. That's his job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the postman for delivering your letters, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. There is an element of that, though, Tony, that, that, that can't be denied. That there is an element of that. No They'll I, say that they don't get they don't get praised for other times that they get it right. That's true, but you are meant to get it right. So and at the same time, no, pra- no praise is uh, not um, not being brought up as the praise in itself because a good ref should be seen and not heard. That kind of thing. But I want to bring up this comment as well, which I thought was shocking at the time. Burnaby's booking last night as a shambles. Nah, Eastern Hope's taking an absolute dive, and uh, Burnaby's copped a booking for that, which could. Rule them out later on if you know talking up procedure and stuff like that. Mm. And again, what's the assistant see? Sure, the assistant should see that and say to the by the way, actually, that didn't happen. He, he never clattered into him, you know. Or if you're up with play anyway, you should see it. I mean, you, the ref was that up with play at one point last night. He got in Callum McGregor's road, didn't he? He's going to have uh, a, yeah, he was, in, he was in a couple of people's yeah. roads, I because you know, uh, so. he got around the boo, yes, you know. So, I, I just I, I get back to that. I just think that they're, they're incompetent, but uh, yeah, we, you know, you, it will drive you crazy, and you will talk about VAR ad infinitum at this minute, and it's. Yeah. And you, so Sean just saying that the linesman was on, or the, the assistant referee was on the other side. Fair enough. Um, I must admit, I didn't notice. Fair enough. Um, but on the subject for assistance, and I don't want this. We're already nearly an hour, so I don't want to keep going on about this. But it does kind of when you're saying about the assistant should spot stuff. Head knocks in particular. Yep. That game before uh, before the winter break, when the lines not only was the referee there and didn't blow, but the the, the assistant referee was within mm-hmm. yards of it. Never had any reaction whatsoever to a head knock and different things. So there's it's more than just it's more than just VAR decisions here. There is a general there is a general concern. Yeah, correct. Of the standard of officiating in this country, but you know, we. We keep highlighting it, but we keep having the same debates, guys, don't we? Yeah, unfortunately, because I've, I've saved all these. There's, there's, a well, wee, um, there's a wee presenting menu that I can save things in here, and I've just got all the iFab stuff saved in it, because I know I'm going to need it again at some point. <laughs> well, you called it AbFab, iFab. AbFab, iFab, It's frightening, but that's nearly I mean, we never even got to, I mean, we're, we're nearly an hour, Tony. We, never, we were actually going to use the VAR thing to, to kind of move into talking about I was supposed to call those post-match, post-match comments, but we might need to move all that in the morning now, but it kind of, I mean, just quickly, we could, I suppose, just bring it to the actual hour and then we'll call it there, but his, his post-match comments were not happy, Tony. Um, not happy. Some indeed. of the stuff that he said, aye, but he wasn't, yeah. he also hinted at changes for the weekend, yeah. which you said, I think we'll be hard pushed to get 11 out of 11 <laughs> this week, but I, I, I kind of interpreted that Aidan is a kind of, a wee bit of a, a G-up post-match presser, in that I don't think he liked that the foot came off the gas slightly in the second half, so he almost started these pre-St. Johnston talk a wee bit early to make sure that they don't do the same against them. Yeah, I kind of viewed it as something similar, to be honest, and that I, that suits me, to be fair. I, I want him to be 
So I never really fully happy what you see yeah. in the park because that's how you're going to get improvement, to be honest. I mean, we've seen Ange before. And what was a few times last night he wasn't happy when the ball was getting passed back? And it reminded me of the, I don't know if you remember the clip against Ray Rovers last season. Welsh, Welsh. Right. Yeah, I won't repeat the exact <laughs> words he used, but he wasn't happy, to be fair, uh, in terms of what was what was going on in the pitch that day. So, yeah, that is probably him just maybe getting in the players' heads ahead of the St. Mm-hmm. the game, saying, you know, standards have got to be better. And if you aren't putting on best performances, I've got somebody in the majority of positions, with the exception of probably right back right now because of the situation that you can come in and play a heavy so mm-hmm. you need to sort of buck up your ideas which is, is fine I, I'm alright with that to be honest Tony you can hear that and Joe Hartz as well he he spoke oh, the um he spoke with the manager's voice in terms of he did it was not understandable at all uh, we play every second every minute that's that much has been made clear to us and I was like myself well, it's just been made doubly clear about five minutes <laughs> that's, that's, that's the manager <laughs> talking in it exactly yeah, yeah. and uh, I think that it's a good old fashioned put up the backside, Sean you know uh, where uh, I think uh, going back to the time there's a great clip with Jock Steen talking where he says he used to drum it into his players that they could lose every game hmm. to any opponent and not to take anything for granted. And this was the Lions he was talking about, yeah. the most successful uh, Scottish club side ever. And there's a clip of him saying, I used to tell my players that the fear of losing every game against any opponent, you know, should be enough to drive you on to, to bring everything you've got to the table and, and not let your standards slip. And I think there was a wee touch of that last night where Angie's just saying, look, don't hit any kind of comfort zone. It won't be allowed. You know, you were 2 0 up in that game in control. You lost a sloppy goal and then lost your way completely. And had it not been against a team like Livingston, who showed no real gumption to get forward in the second half, you know, or, or over the whole piece, then you could have came a cropper mm-hmm. against a team who maybe thought, sensed a wee bit of vulnerability about you. And I think that was, uh, again, going back to what I said there, kind of a warning shot over the bow to think. And as Aidan said, I've got players that will come in. Mm-hmm. And then when he was saying there'll be changes, I think that was kind of a, you know, a cage rattler to certain players, and I include Jota and the likes of that as well. Yeah, you say you know you, you you're not going to bring that twice in a row. You know you were brought to be better than that, so you might find Jota rotated on Saturday. You, you know, potentially, yeah. Potentially Look like forward that. to your predicted eleven. <laughs> you know, just to hope eighteen. Yeah, but, <laughs> but not to say like even I, I use this, you know. Well, there's no real star players as they say in the team, but personality players, even personality players, say, "No, no, you're here for a reason, and that's to perform." Yeah, I won't put up with that, and I will rotate you if you're going to give me that. And I and I think uh, Jota the past couple of performances have been out of sorts, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him rotated, and also for the manager to say like, "This is me telling you." There will be changes, and I won't be afraid to to actually or drop you or rotate you from the squad because mm-hmm. of 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 what you served up uh, the past couple of games. Yep, Rob Piemonte saying changes guaranteed. And just basically said that uh, after the game. Uh, there's a couple of questions which we will deal with them all, I think properly, but I'll flash them up just to give you a wee teaser. Uh, Patrick McLaughlin saying will Ange go to a back three if Ralston's out? Uh, it's always a chance. He did it last Boxing Day, which would almost Boxing be a minute. against St Johnston. One year, Boxing Day, St Johnston, the, the year before. Uh, but that was mostly due to a few injuries, uh, COVID and different things. There was a lot of players not able to make it. Joey Dawson started up front or that kind of thing. Um, 
So maybe the one injury won't be enough, but he then comes back in and says, or oh, is Taylor at right back? I don't think it would be Taylor at right back. I, I, again, during the match, as I said, boys football club rules and all that, turn to the guy that you trust, that you know will, will, will do their utmost to make sure they adapt to it. I think that was Taylor in that moment. But I think, given if Juranovic is still away and, and, and maybe carrying a knock, Alistair Johnston can't play. What's the harm in calling up someone from the B team? Yeah. No harm I like that. that. It, probably, it, it might not be... It might not be him specifically, but I, I really liked the, the aggression of Josh Deedy um, in pre-season. It might not be him. Uh, you'd need to check who actually plays really religiously at right back because he does get games there, but I don't know if he's, he's the consistent choice, I, I admit. So I would have no problem, though. If not, if not situations like that, when do you call up someone from the B team? Of course. And I also think as well, with Ibrooks around the corner, Aiden, I think he's just sort of saying, right, you know, you go to Ibrooks in, a, in a, a few days' time. Who's ready? You know, who's who's got that hunger? Who's got that desire? Who Who's going to play themselves into contention for that 11? You know, because you, you can pick from a plethora of players, but he wants to know who's hungry for it in terms of it and, and not hit that kind of comfort zone that I was talking about earlier and think they can just drift and, you know, and, and be part of the team and others will carry them. No, no, the whole team carries themselves as... And as you said, Sean, Joe Hart was talking about that, wasn't he? Just yep. kind of unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that Andrew have it in the back. He said, thinking about the Rangers game, and I know we'll never say that publicly. And uh, to an extent, it is every game, at, uh, one game at a time, sorry, but I'm sure he'll be thinking about, you know, based off even these first two performances, despite there being another two two games before the Rangers game, and yeah, home to St. John's. Yeah, St. John's but I think he'll be straight thinking about who can come in uh, obviously, the right back option will be something he's definitely thinking about. Uh, I know Juranovic could potentially be back available by then if, if this knock isn't too bad that he's got, but I was thinking about that across the team, really, in terms of who he thinks he's got the, the desire, the work rate, etc., that's going to want to come in and give their all for that game because we know how important it is. But just need to wait and see. Hopefully, the performances will improve a wee bit over the next two games. Tori, that's a good, I, I, we're all we're basically doing the preview now. But um, Stephen Welsh at right back, Gary McDowell says if he is, if he has recovered and he, and he is fit, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was him because he played right back before uh, well alone at Morton. He played he right back in that cup game for a wee while. Uh, it, it very well might be him. Um, Antonio's saying Jens to right back. He's played there before. I remember looking him up before he signed and, and looking at his player profile. He's he has played there before, but it was only for. I want to say part of one game for for Lausanne mm. Sport. So that was my first thought. He was on the bench last night, so presumably it was a choice between playing Jens at right back and keeping Taylor in situ, or giving Bernabe time at left back mm. and asking Taylor to do a job at right back. And he picked that, which suggests to me maybe he won't pick Jens at right back. Yeah, possibly. I think this is a world record for the pod today, guys. Yeah. In terms of the time, oh, one minute and three seconds. There you go. Will we save some for tomorrow, I think, eh? Yeah, I think so. I will find out a bumper special. I'm going to go find this on Twitter. A bumper special, indeed. Now, guys, I'll just draw your attention to the ticker tape running along the bottom, of course. Subscribe to the Celtic Way. It's the Merry Christmas deal, December deal, festive deal. We support top quality journalism, covering the club you love. It's a pound for two months of full access to everything that's written on the website. Or if you want, you can get 25% off the yearly price, which takes it to 26 quid. Excellent value. And all you have to do is hit that button 
www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. That's www.celticway.co.uk forward slash subscribe. Guys, that has been excellent. Really loved that today. It was good. Nah, uh, you know, it was good. good. Top discussion. Uh, Sean. Kaiser, it's Christmas do another hour, lads. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, excellent, Sean. Tremendous stuff. Aidan, thanks for your contribution as well. Loved that. Guys, thanks for all the comments. Hope you enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, we like the extended format. <laughs> it was more by accident in design. <laughs> but there you go. Uh, yeah, we don't know if we'll do an hour every day. We know you might want it, but thank you. Uh, a bump of our special achieving nothing, sadly. <laughs> Apologies, Frank. We do try. Ah, <laughs> uh, good old Frank. Uh, yes, indeed. But guys, we'll be back tomorrow, uh, 23rd of December, counting down the days till Christmas. But well done, Wombat. Thanks very much. Appreciate that. Appreciate yeah, all good. the subscribers and listeners and viewers. Yeah, couldn't do it without you, and we enjoy the interaction. Hope you enjoy today. As I say, I think that David Coleman should be commentating this show with WR flashing in the <laughs> a new world record, but there you have it. But no, thanks for your contribution. I enjoyed that today. It was a, it was a good one. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers, guys. Cheers.